This is a long one, but it was so bizarre that I think it's worth telling. I wanted to post it because this person recently tried to friend my now husband on Facebook, and it brought back crazy memories, and I need to vent it out. I got married right at 18. I was a pretty book-smart kid, but lacked street smarts. By the time I turned 20, my now ex-husband and I had moved into a rental property in a pretty nice suburb outside of Chicago. In the basement of the house was a big mother-in-law suite, where a good male friend of ours, Nick, lived as well. I was about halfway through nursing school at this point in time. This particular semester of nursing school, I had a very early clinical rotation once a week. I was about 21 at this point, and I'm not a morning person, so in order to maximize the amount of time I spent asleep, I started loading all my stuff into my car the night before. Bags, books, and even my purse. Again, lacking street smarts. One particular night before clinicals, I asked my ex-husband Bobby to get a book from my car. Bob does, but he forgets to lock the door. The next morning when I get to my car, I note that my purse is gone. I ended up filing a police report that morning. I was most concerned because I had just gotten this new job as a nurse's aide at a hospital, and I had my social security card still sitting in my wallet. Strike three for street smarts right there. Almost immediately after the theft, strange things started to happen. We started getting ding-dong ditches at all hours of the day and night. Someone vandalized my, Nick's, and Bob's car with strange graffiti. Think swastikas, hangmen, etc. Someone egged our house, and someone slashed Nick's tires. We at first chalked it up to neighborhood pranksters, but when we started having damages that cost a decent amount of money, we called the police. Not to mention, one day when Bob was mowing our lawn, he noticed piles of cigarette butts outside the bedroom window. The police came out, pretty much did nothing, but they did take a report and told us to perhaps invest in car alarms and some brighter floodlights for the driveway. A few weeks after this, at nearly 2.30 in the morning, I get a call on my cell phone. It was the police from a neighboring town. They had picked up someone who had my ID on them, someone named Craig J. When they asked why he had someone else's ID on him, he claimed that I was his girlfriend. The cop called me because my name had popped that I had filed a police report for theft. I assured the cops I'd never heard of Craig J before, and was told that I could pick up my ID at the police station within the next few days. Things really started to escalate at that point, but I still didn't make the connection that perhaps these incidents were related. I started getting strange messages on MySpace, this was in 2009, as well as on Facebook from clearly fake accounts with long-winded messages that made absolutely no sense. This person started messaging friends of mine as well. I deleted MySpace and blocked the person on Facebook, but new accounts kept getting created. Somehow this person got my email address and started sending emails to boot. I had no idea who this person could be, but they seemed to know details about me that indicated this was either someone I knew or knew someone I knew. The messages weren't overtly threatening, but creepy enough to where I started becoming uncomfortable. One night, my friend Lauren and I were sitting on the couch watching TV. Bob, Lauren's husband, and a few other friends had gone out for the night. As we're sitting around chilling, we hear something that sounds like someone shaking the garage door. I go and check the garage, but 
nothing seems out of the ordinary. We had occasional issues with raccoons, so I chalked it up to that. But the noises continued. Lauren and I are getting freaked out at this point. Now, so you understand the layout of the house? It was a modern-style ranch house with no upstairs. The garage sounds moved now to the kitchen window, a distinct sound of someone knocking or scratching hard on the windows. We call our husbands, who didn't happen to answer. At this point, we debate calling the police. But think, what if it's an animal? Or tree branches? We don't want to come off as stupid. As we debate, I see Lauren's face go sheet white as she looks past me. I can see the handle to the front door wiggling. Thank goodness it's locked. We were seated near the kitchen when we jump up. Lauren grabs a knife from the butcher block on the counter. I grab a small hammer from the junk drawer. We book it to the back of the house where the bedrooms are, cell phones in hand, and lock ourselves in one of the bedrooms to call the police. The dispatcher tells us to stay on the line, move furniture in front of the door if possible, and that the police are on their way. We shove a dresser in front of the door, knife and hammer still in tow. We agreed if this f***er was going to come in, he might be bigger or stronger than us, but we're not going down without a fight. We plan, if he gets in before the cops, I go for the head with the hammer, she goes for the gut with the knife. Cops show up, banging on the front door, shouting police. We can see the red and blue lights through the window. Feeling that it's finally safe to exit, we leave the room, let the cops in, and they find no signs of anyone present or evidence of an attempted break-in. They take another report, and in the meanwhile, our husbands finally call us back. They come home, the cops leave. Flash forward a few months, a very close friend of ours, Sean, was renovating his apartment and needed a place to crash along with his girlfriend. Bob and I decided that he could stay in the third bedroom of our house. The first night Sean stays with us, we're awakened at two in the morning by Sean screaming at someone. Bob and I jump out of bed and rush to the hall and to Sean's room. Sean and his girl are wide awake, lights on, looking totally freaked out. The window screen is sliced and just flopping in the wind. Sean told us that he woke up to someone using what he thought was a knife on the window screen and they began to climb through the window. We call the cops, they come out, take a statement. Sean describes the guy as best as he could, a white male, young looking, semi-shaved head with what looked like darker hair. Cops dust for fingerprints, comes back as a match for Craig J. Turns out, I knew who he was, vaguely. He was a year younger than me and we had gone to the same high school, but I couldn't remember having any significant interactions with him. He lived with his parents only a few blocks from my parents' house. I ended up reaching out to high school acquaintances who knew him, and they remembered him as a nice but odd kid, kind of quiet, but definitely on the strange side, who had dropped out of school before graduation. Upon realizing that Sean had just moved in, the cop makes a statement that chilled us all. He probably didn't realize anyone was staying in this bedroom and thought the room would be empty. Cops head to Craig's parents' house, arrest him on sight. He suddenly has quite the story for them. He and I were secret lovers. I was ignoring him. We had a relationship. He also had been allowed into my home many times. I'm absolutely floored by this. He gets charged with something like trespassing or breaking and entering and does light time for it, maybe a month, and has to pay a fine. 
In the meanwhile, I get a restraining order on him. He gets out. I hear nothing from him. I also develop a completely irrational fear of first floor windows. Around Christmas of 2010, I'm now 23. I figure the whole Craig thing is in the past. Bob and I decide a divorce unrelated to this, and we go our separate ways. And Nick has long since moved out. We end the lease at the house. I move to a less desirable suburb, but with affordable rent. I settle on an apartment in a four-unit building that had a locked entrance, and the only way in was with a key or with someone opening the door from the inside. I lived on the second floor. By this time, I had graduated, I was now a full-fledged nurse, and was working at a nursing home. Spring or summer of 2011, and it all started up again. Calls coming through to me at work, only to have someone hang up. Letters suddenly appeared in the staff-only mailbox, mailed to me with no return address. The strange email started up again from random accounts. The messages, once again, were never overtly threatening, but they were long, way too frequent, way too out there. He spoke to me as if we were long-lost friends and had some sort of connection. I don't think he ever threatened to hurt me, although the cutting into the house with a knife... I don't know what was going through his mind. What I kind of seemed to piece together over the years from all his rambling is that he had some sort of crush on me when we were younger, although I never even remember speaking to him during high school. And him happening to rob my car was some sort of sign from the universe or something that we were meant to be together. I call the cops. They basically tell me that because there have been no threats and other than a new order of protection or a cease and desist, there's not much they can do, except watch and wait. This goes on for a while, and finally, one night I wake up at 2 in the morning to the doorbell ringing. I'm instantly in a panic. I look out the window. There, illuminated in the floodlight, is Craig. I instantly burst out crying. In my half-awake state, I run across the hall and start banging on my neighbor's door. He's an older divorced guy who happens to live alone. He goes downstairs on my behalf, confronts Craig, and tells him the cops have been called. At this point, Craig takes off. I file another report, and they claim that they'll talk to him, but this only makes things worse. Friends I have on Facebook now start getting random messages from Craig, asking about me, telling them he has important information for me. Other times, he alternates and says that I owe him money, and I have a debt that I need to pay off. My friends block him as he goes along. Meanwhile, my younger sister is living in the city with a few friends. He somehow finds out where and drives to her apartment and confronts her while she has people over. She rightfully freaks out. They kick him out. She calls the cops, who basically again state that he didn't commit a crime, but they do offer her a restraining order. Right after this, another incident. My younger cousin is a high school senior on the cross-country team. He shows up at my cousin's practice. Cousin has no clue who he is. He starts demanding information on me. Coach gets involved. Craig gets in a fight with the coach. Cops are called once more. He's banned from school grounds, but nothing more comes of it. He calls the nursing home administrator at my job, asking to talk to me, and that he has important information to tell me. The administrator my work was now aware of the situation, tells him not to come onto the property 
or he will have him arrested for trespassing. I'm paranoid beyond all measure now. And then, just as quickly as it all started, it faded off. It's now summer of 2012, and the final capper in this saga. I'm 25 now. A friend of mine named Stacy, and incidentally Sean's ex, moved in with me temporarily while she looked for a place. She was dating a new guy and spent quite a few nights at his place. Well, one day, I picked up a double shift, starting at 7am and ending at 11.30pm. Stacy texted me around 3.30pm, stating she won't be home that night and was going out with her guy. I arrive home at nearly midnight. First thing I notice is that my door is unlocked. Uneasy, but thinking that perhaps Stacy had just forgotten to lock it, I cautiously peer inside. I pan my gaze to the kitchen and the living room, and I can't shake the feeling that something is just amiss. Something wasn't sitting right. And due to all of these incidents, I always make sure that one or two lights were left on, even when no one was home. I was still not even fully in the door when I noticed that I was staring into a pitch black apartment. And immediately, my brain went into full panic. And I'm really glad that it did. Realistically, Stacy could have forgotten to leave a light on, but my instincts were in overdrive and sounding off five alarm fire bells right in my ear. One of my neighbors close to me was known for his weekend parties, and I could hear a party going on downstairs. I book it down there and bust into the party and tell him what happened. He looks at me like I'm crazy, but agrees to come upstairs with me. We get inside, he looks around, we see nobody. I'm starting to wonder if I'm just nuts. Maybe Stacy had her boyfriend over and they left in a hurry, forgetting to turn on the low lights and lock the doors. He agrees with me and sort of jokingly pulls open the pantry door. But what I saw next will never, ever leave my mind. There, crouched inside, is Craig. My neighbor yanks him clean out of the cupboard, puts the guy in a chokehold, and I call the police. To this day, I have no idea what he planned on doing. Cops come out, and he's arrested. Because my neighbor was having a party, he had the door open to the hallway. Chances are, Craig just walked into the building, and if anyone even noticed, people would just assume that he was there for the party or whatever. It's more confusing how he got into my apartment itself. The theory is, my roommate at the time was from the country, and while I lived in a suburb, it was the type of suburb right on the edge of a major U.S. city, so we always locked our doors and generally kept everything secured as a rule. She was used to leaving her doors unlocked and wide open, and I think honestly it may have just slipped her mind when she went out the door for the night. I confronted her about it, and she of course denied it, but that's really the only logical way he could have gotten in. I always locked both set of locks on the door whenever I left the house, and unless he was a skilled locksmith, I have no idea how he could have gotten in. I didn't stay alone or go anywhere by myself for a long time after that. I feel that I actually developed a paranoia because of all this and was highly suspicious of giving my number or any information out to anyone. He ended up being charged and convicted of aggravated stalking, breaking and entering, and some other charges. I did meet his parents in court, who were both, shockingly, very normal, apologetic people. They tried explaining their son. They claimed he was mentally ill and suffered from bipolar disorder. When he's medicated, he's okay. 
when he's off his meds, he's nuts. After he served time, I didn't hear from him for years, until 2016 when he found me on Facebook. I was much older now, around 29. I replied to him very firmly that any contact would end in the police being called and that I had no interest in him at all. I blocked him in any way I could. Recently, he found my new husband on Facebook and friended him, but my husband blocked him as well. To this day, I still have that paranoia. I had parked my car near a baseball diamond once, and some kids most likely hit a baseball into my windshield and took off, because I had a perfectly baseball-sized spider crack on the glass. Despite it being completely logical that it most likely was a ball, I instantly reverted to, oh god, is he back? I have no idea what happened to him. I also am now a total psycho about keeping things locked. Twice my life got screwed up because doors weren't locked. My car door, and most likely my apartment. I have an acquaintance monitor him on Facebook. His page is not private. And from what I have seen, he appears to go through periods where he's pretty inactive, and then episodes where he is rambling, overposting, oversharing, and acting generally deranged. I believe his parents were telling the truth when they stated that when he's medicated, he's cool. Part of me feels bad for him. I'm older now, I've been a nurse for almost a decade, some of which time was spent in a psych specialty. The mind is a hell of a thing. Looking back though, those were some of the worst years of my adult life. He put me through a lot of anxiety and caused a lot of issues for me. I slept with my couch pushed against my apartment door for the next two years before I moved out of there. I'm now married, but on nights where I'm home alone, I still find myself resisting the urge to stack furniture in front of the doors. One of the other fallouts from this situation, Craig either sold, lost, or gave away my social security card that had been in my purse. Someone tried to file for Medicaid benefits in Arizona using my name and social, as well as obtained a job using my social and failed to pay any taxes, leaving me with a surprise asset freeze by the IRS and a whole financial mess that needed to be untangled before they unfroze my accounts and paid me back the money they started to pull out of my paychecks for the back taxes that I had nothing to do with. My credit got extremely messed up for years because of this, and to this day, I have a lock on my social security number and monitor my accounts like a hawk. I guess the moral of my long-winded and twisted story is to always lock your doors and to never leave your purse in the car. I grew up with my dad and my brother. My mom died when I was 10, and I was 14 at the point of this story, and my brother was 16 and out with friends. I used to go out until late in the evening, drinking at a park with friends of mine. My dad was an alcoholic and always too drunk to know if I was home or not. I had free reign, no rules or boundaries. Kind of a teenager's dream, but also something now that I can see that isn't conducive for a healthy upbringing. My dad used to invite random alcoholic drug using strangers into our house. Oftentimes when I would come home, these strangers and my dad would be passed out asleep from too much alcohol or the drug of their choice. Or they would barely notice that I was there and I'd head straight to my room. One night, I'd come back from hanging out with friends. It was the early hours of the morning. I walked through the living room to go upstairs to my room and noticed that my dad was asleep on his living room armchair. The guy that he'd brought back with him that night was probably in his mid-fifties, 
I didn't recognize him, so safe to say he hadn't been in our house before. He looked at me as I walked across the room, and the moment I felt his gaze, I knew that something was off about him. He smiled and stared, tried to start a conversation with me, but I was keen to get to my bedroom. I went upstairs, hopped into pajamas for bed, and then dashed out to use the bathroom. As I was walking to the bathroom, I hear him from the edge of the hallway say, You look nice in those pajamas. I looked up, and in the dimly lit hallway, I could see him smiling at me. A very creepy, toothy smile. I went back to my room instead of using the bathroom, and I shut and locked the door behind me. Within moments of clicking that lock, he was trying to open my bedroom door. I became scared because I knew that something was off, and that he had most likely some bad intentions in mind. I dragged my bed across the room to block the door even further, in case he broke the lock and forced the door open. He's knocking on the door, nay, banging on the door. I'm just trying to say hello. Don't be so rude. Open the door. I'm not responding. I'm quietly panicking. While I know I'm not a genius by any stretch, I did feel like I was a bright 14-year-old, and I knew that I was in danger. The bed is blocking the door, and the door is still locked, but I can hear him pushing against the door, using his entire weight, trying to get inside. I open my bedroom window, and I scream out, again and again, help, help, please, at the top of my lungs. What I later found out was that my neighbor heard me, and knowing my dad was an alcoholic, assumed that something had happened to him. He came around the front of the house, must have seen that my dad was asleep, comes right up to my room, and he begins knocking to get in. I can hear his familiar voice, a voice of safety. And although I trusted my neighbor, I'm so shaken up that I now just sat in the corner of my room, in a ball, crying, shaking, and panicked. Unlike my pursuer, my neighbor was able to knock the door open, pushing it open against the weight of my bed. He came in, checked on me, assuming that I must have been hurt. He attempted to console me as I tried to compose myself and tell him what had just happened. He sat on the floor with me and called the police for assistance. As if the pursuer knew what was coming, he had fled our house out the back door before my neighbor made his way in. The police weren't able to locate that man, and that only fueled my fear that he could come back at any point. After speaking to my father, who was barely able to form sentences, and myself, the police realized that this wasn't a safe situation for me to be in, and by the end of the night, they had phoned social services. That was the night that I ended up in the care system. I'm 17 now, and after a few years of bouncing from home to home, I now live with my auntie, who has done all that she possibly can to care for me and keep me safe. I know that there are young girls such as myself that have situations like the one that I just shared and are not lucky enough to free themselves from it. For that, I know that I'm truly blessed and my heart goes out to all those other girls. I was a teenager in the mid-90s, and a bit of a wild one at that. On this particular evening, I had found myself stuck downtown. It was around midnight when I finally found a semi-well-lit bus stop. I looked at the bus schedule and realized to my dismay that I may have missed the last bus of the night. 
That is, unless it happened to be running late. I decided to wait on the bench and pray that that was the case. I remember being dressed in my punk rock attire, as that was how I felt most comfortable at the time. Tank top, fishnet arm coverings, tall black boots, and a skirt that was probably a bit too short for a 16-year-old to be rocking, but whatever. Moments after settling into the bench, a tall man walked up and sat right next to me. There was plenty of space to sit elsewhere for him, but he huddled up nice and close. He was wearing all black, including a black leather jacket. He started making smooth conversation with me, and that's when I finally looked directly at him. He was very tan, had shiny, wavy black hair, and nearly orange eyes. Like a bright hazel orange, snake-looking eyes, which contrasted with his dark features and clothes. He had a really unsettling vibe about him, and he seemed like something sinister incarnate. He took off his leather jacket and laid it across my lap to, quote, keep me warm. I took it off and handed it right back to him, saying no thanks, but he kept draping it back over my lap. I looked around for other people and only saw a passed out homeless person sleeping on a bench off in the distance. This man was trying to coerce me into getting a ride with him because it's so late and he was worried about me and that my bus wasn't coming and I'm not safe to just sit here. I said, no thanks. My bus should be here any minute. In my mind, I didn't know if that bus would get here at all, but the streets were dead and dark and I was terrified to leave the only spot that was well lit. After what seemed like an eternity, my bus finally pulled up. It was the most beautiful bus that I had ever seen. I quickly got up and said, my bus is here, have a good night. He sneered at the bus, and as he turned around, I could hear him say under his breath, you got lucky. I got on the bus and peered out the window to see him walking to his car in a dark parking lot across the street from where we were. He stood next to his car, waving for me to get off the bus and to come to him, as if that would change my mind. It did not. Like I said, I was a wild teen that partied a lot and would stay downtown at all hours of the night, and I thought that I was invincible. But after that night, I can honestly say that I never stayed out that late again, especially alone. I really did get lucky and had no intention of pushing those bounds again. Mm -hmm.